If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out of blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com 1212. This is the World According to Zit podcast for October 20th, 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show, but you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And at freespeechbroadcasting.com, you can also access my other podcast, which is more directly political. That is about the presidency of Donald Trump. It's called the Individual One Podcast, which I hope you will check out if you've not done so already. This episode of The World According to Zig is going to be a little bit different. Uh, It's mostly uh, preemptive. Maybe that's not the right word, but uh, maybe I'm I'm just uh, laying the foundation for what may or may not be another interesting week in the life and career of John Ziegler. And uh, those of you who have been avid listeners know that I uh, am really bad when I am not sure what I can say and what I can't say. (laughs) I am good with green lights. I can accept red lights. It's the yellow light situations that always cause me uh, problems. And I am in a bit of a yellow light situation because of some things that are likely to occur this week. I don't know how big of a deal they will be. They might be somewhat of a big deal. They might not be any big deal at all. Um, But as preparation for that, I'm going to uh, use this episode of the World According to Zig podcast to do two things. I want to uh, review um, my rather uh, extensive and somewhat strange uh, relationship with Matt Lauer, who has been very much in the news as of late. In fact, uh, I was in the grocery store uh, just yesterday, he is currently on the cover of the National Enquirer and for the second week in a row, Us Magazine. Uh, not to mention that there's been a lot of mainstream news coverage because of the new book out uh, by Ronan Farrow called Catch and Kill. And that will be a major focus of this edition of the podcast because I have read the portions about Matt Lauer in Catch and Kill, and I want to talk about that because. I have come to the conclusion that Ronan Farrow is a very dangerous man. He is a very dangerous man, and he is not a journalist. I'll get to that momentarily. Uh, but, but first, as backdrop and context, uh, here's my, uh, my relationship with Matt Lauer. Um, and, and this is – I've had a lot of uh, Forrest Gumpian type uh, stories in my career, but this one is in, certainly in the, in the top echelon. Oddly, uh, the first time I ever had uh, any sort of contact with Matt Lauer was way back in 1988. This was when I was an intern at WNEV Television in Boston, which was at that time the CBS affiliate. And what was interesting about that is I was interning in both the news and the sports departments. It was the greatest summer of my life. I was living with my father on Beacon Hill in Boston, walking to work at a CBS television station. During the week, I would work with news. It was a a presidential election year. During the weekends, I would work in sports. And, uh, you know, I was still at that point a a huge sports fan who wanted to be a sportscaster. And this TV station at the time had this uh, kind of a goofy, zany morning television show that was uh, so... Uh, 
disregarded by the newsroom that they actually had this unwritten rule that the people involved in that morning show would not be allowed in the newsroom, if I remember it correctly. I don't know how formal that was, but I have a, I have a recollection of that being a real thing. Like there was, they wanted there to be an arm's distance between the newsroom, because this was back when news actually was serious and real and not just infotainment, which is what it is now. So they took themselves very seriously, even though we were a third-place TV station. We took ourselves very seriously, and this morning show was not to be thought of as having anything to do with the news department. Well, that morning show was hosted by a guy by the name of Matt Lauer. And so I always thought that was kind of uh, funny and telling that as the years go on, Matt Lauer not only becomes enormously famous, but frankly... When in comparison to the rest of the bozos in the mainstream news media, especially in morning television, probably one of the most journalistically ethical people in the business. Uh, and I would end up knowing this not just as a viewer, but in my own interaction with him. Because in we fast forward uh, 20 years to 2008-2009, and I do uh, the first – and only extensive interview on camera with Sarah Palin after the 2008 election. I went up to Alaska. Boy, that was something else. <laughs> In the middle of January, early January, I go up to Wasilla, Alaska, and I uh, interview Sarah Palin for a little short of an hour on video. It is just just an enormously uh, compelling interview on so many different levels. She had a real mystique about her at the time because she was essentially might as well have been on Mars. It was like I was going to Mars to interview this person who uh, w was kind of uh, away from the rest of the world. I mean, she that you have to remember this is before Twitter. And in 2008, 2009, she, she went away to Alaska and she was kind of almost in prison there. And so I go up there to get the story of her version of, of the media coverage of the 2008 election. And I really had, honestly, no idea how the media was going to react. I knew that she was a uh, someone that the media was very interested in. She was ratings gold to them. They loved attacking her. I got all that. But I was also thinking, is is this a little too old news by January of 2009? Is anyone going to care about this? Well... <laughs> Yeah, uh, we released a uh, highlight uh, version of the interview on YouTube, and yeah, uh, people cared. <laughs> people cared in a way that blew my mind. Uh, we were uh, bombarded uh, with media requests to discuss this interview. Uh, I was on virtually every cable news television network. In fact, I was on MSNBC twice in one day with David Schuster, who ended up being a, a guest on this, on my other podcast, the Individual One podcast, uh, uh, in a few months ago, and we, we revisited that whole uh, situation in a very different way because he and I were battling each other, and now we're actually friends. But I digress. Anyway, in the midst of all this, I went on the View, and the Today Show wanted the exclusive on the actual interview. Uh, with me and Sarah Palin. And uh, incredibly long story short, we cut a deal for me to go on the Today Show in the coveted 7.30 a.m. slot to do an interview with Matt Lauer. And in exchange, they would get some exclusive clips from the documentary and the interview. And somehow, and this, you know, I, I've done a lot of uh, things in my career that have uh, been amazing that and I've made a lot of mistakes in my career that have been amazing, but I've made done a lot of things in my career that have been amazing, which have really not resulted in nearly what they should have. And I would say that maybe the most remarkable thing I've ever done in my career was to interview Sarah Palin on January 5th of 2009 and somehow get an entire documentary ready to go out on DVD and nationwide screenings by, I think it was February 23rd. Uh, we're talking about uh, six weeks later. So basically in six weeks, I uh, produced a full-length, you know, almost two-hour long, uh, exceedingly uh, well done, I believe, documentary in order to have the DVD ready to go for when the Today Show wanted to have me on. Because that was critical. Because, again, 
you have to understand how much the media has changed. In, two, in early 2009, we're still, you know, we're, the fragmentation has, has destroyed a lot of the media, but nowhere near to what the extent it is today. And so the audience uh, was going to be huge. And this was incredibly unusual for me, a conservative, an unknown conservative, to be able to go on the Today Show live one-on-one with Matt Lauer. Unprecedented in my in my recollection that an unknown conservative would ever get this opportunity. And it was my intention to use this opportunity to try to blow up the Death Star. <laughs> That's how I viewed this. I was Luke Skywalker going into the Death Star of NBC, and I was going to try to blow the whole thing up. Unfortunately, um, as is often the case with my career, uh, the best of intentions went awry. Because the night before I was going to do the interview with Matt Lauer, a couple things happened. One, the morons at the Today Show didn't apparently realize that they had scheduled this for the morning after the Academy Awards. And they, we got into New York City, my publicist and I, uh, and immediately we had a phone call saying, uh, can we change this from Monday to Tuesday because the Academy Awards are Sunday? And we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? How did you not know the Academy Awards were that night? Because they were going to have, uh, you know, I think, uh, I forget, I think it might have been Meredith Vieira, ironically enough, uh, who um, was at the Academy Awards uh, in Los Angeles, and that that you know they they didn't think it was going to fit, and, and we basically held firm. We was like, I think we tried to bluff them, like we had another option to go to Good Morning America or something, and so we won that battle. Uh, they decided to keep us at the 7.30 slot uh, on the Today Show, me and Matt Lauer. But then later on, we got a call from Matt Lauer's assistant telling us, hey, uh, the DVD you sent us doesn't work. I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. So I go to a friend's house where I'm staying in New York City. Um, actually, I think I was just visiting him uh, and because uh, they put me up in a hotel. But we put in the DVD, and sure enough, about halfway through, it started to crap out. And we're like, oh, my God. Now, it's Sunday night. I'm doing the interview first thing the next morning. I have no idea. Is this a a problem with all the DVDs? Is this just this batch? Is it a fluke? Is it just the, the ones that we we have for screeners? I have no way of knowing. So now I'm going into the biggest interview of my life. And I know that Matt Lauer has a nuclear weapon, right? He has just been given a nuclear weapon that if we get into it too too uh, aggressively, he can say, look, dude, your DVD doesn't even work, and I'm done, right? I'm, it is, it, it's all done. All the work, the miracle of the Palin interview, the one shot at, at, at making the, you know, giving him the Death Star, it's all going to go down in flames, and so now I'm, I have to totally change my strategy with Matt Lauer because the original strategy was <laughs> I am going in there with all guns ablazing, and Matt Lauer and I are going to get into the biggest knockdown drag out in the history of the Today Show. That was the plan. I could not go with that plan. And it's probably one of the greatest regrets of my life because, my, as it turns out, my whole career might have been different if it wasn't for that fucking DVD that didn't work. Because uh, had we gone that direction, then I think that the, the whole narrative about me and, uh, and everything could have, it would have been a totally different path. Well, anyway, Lauer and I do this interview, and the first thing that I learn about Lauer is he's really good. He is really good. I have done hundreds of interviews and been interviewed hundreds of times by some of the top people in the business, and I've interviewed some of the top people in the business. I have never had a situation where I did not feel like I could dominate the person I was interviewing or uh, the, uh, the person who was interviewing me uh, like I did with Matt Lauer. I felt like he was the most formidable opponent I had ever gone up against. And so we sparred, and, you know, I tried to get in some shots, but by and large, we kept it pretty friendly, even though 
some of the reporting was that, you know, Lauer versus Ziegler, I believe there was a Huffington Post uh, headline to that effect. But it was nowhere near what it could have been or should have been. Now, uh, it got a lot of publicity. Uh, it created other uh, media interviews. Uh, I was so frustrated. I went on MSNBC. You can find this on YouTube and got interviewed by Nora O'Donnell, where I told her twice during the interview that she should have been fired for inaccurate things she said about Sarah Palin, desperately trying to uh, figure out a way to to create the the uh, firestorm that would get on the Drudge Report. Uh, that we intended. Unfortunately, what I did not know was that my friend at the time, Andrew Breitbart, who was running the Drudge Report, uh, was, I think, in my, and I'll never know because Andrew's dead now, but I think Andrew was setting me up because he and I had met before I left New York to plan how this was all going to go down. And Andrew would later claim that his ability to uh, to promote what I was doing on the on the Drudge Report was diminished because he and Matt, uh, Matt not Matt Lauer, Matt Drudge were in a fight, and that uh, he felt as if he couldn't uh, go up against Matt Drudge. I don't know if I've ever really bought that. I mean, I know that was true at times, but frankly, what I think was happening was Andrew Breitbart was afraid that I was getting too big for my britches, that I was going to surpass him as the white male conservative anti-media guy in Los Angeles because I'm much better on television than Andrew Breitbart, and he uh, he decided that, you know what, uh, it felt a lot like the scene in Braveheart where Mel Gibson uh, is waving the flag for the guy up on the hill to, to bring the rest of the troops in, and then they turn around and they go the other direction. That's basically what I felt like with regard to Andrew Breitbart and me and the Matt Lauer interview. So anyway, the lie, it was not a disaster, but it was nowhere near what it should have been. And I have regret about it to this day. But I learned, you know, wow, Lauer's really good. I mean, he he is uh, he's kind of a chess player. He's a pro. Uh, he he's not a pushover. And uh, and and frankly, you know, I, I've always believed he was one of the best, if not the best, interviewer of his type in television. Not that there's that much competition. So anyway, um, we fast forward several years, and I get involved involved in the whole. Uh, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky, Penn State situation, and I interview uh, Jerry Sandusky in prison. And I uh, I record this <laughs> against the rules of the Pennsylvania prison uh, system because they don't allow any interviews. I record this secretly on a pen that has an audio recording device. And so and that's a whole other story that I've told previously. It's an amazing uh, situation of my own screw-ups and comedy of errors. And, uh, you know, I, I super glued the top of the, the pen so that they couldn't pull it apart if they tried. And uh, I was told that the super glue would dissolve and that I could fix the pen after I did it. And that didn't work. And so we had to destroy the pen to try to save the audio. Anyway, incredibly long story short, I tell uh, – the people at the Today Show, hey, look, um, you know, because the Today Show is still the number one morning show. I had this interview with Jerry Sandusky. How interested are you? And they were very interested. And I got on the phone with Matt Lauer and his booker, and we discussed it. And, and we said, uh, uh, you know, hey, uh, John, congratulations. Uh, this is a great interview, the first and only interview uh, Matt, Jerry Sandusky's ever going to do after his conviction because you're not even allowed to do interviews uh, with, uh, with people in Pennsylvania prison. And so um, we scheduled an interview. And uh, when we scheduled the interview, there was, as this is almost always the situation in my life, whenever can go wrong, goes wrong. And uh, there, was, there was a bit of a delay because of, I think it was the Pope, there was a new Pope that was being installed, and Lauer was going over uh, to Rome to, to cover the installation of the new pope. And this would have been in March of 2013. I think, I think that's correct. I think so Benedict must have been uh, being installed as pope. Anyway, well, this delay caused a problem because I did something incredibly naive. I got asked uh, literally like the, the Friday before the interview was scheduled, which was on a Monday, I think it was a Monday, um, I got asked by a what I thought was a fairly low-level producer. Uh, she went through what I was going to say in the interview. And one of the things that I said, which because I intended to do it, and I knew there was nothing wrong with doing it, and so I stupidly told her I was going to do it, was that I was going to reveal the name 
of the the now adult male who was the so-called kid in the shower that Mike McQuarey infamously, allegedly witnessed that was the center of the entire Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno, Penn State scandal. His name is Alan Myers. And this is, this is a guy who had been a, a, essentially a public figure on the story because he had written uh, op-ed pieces or letters to the editor in his own name as a, an adult, a sergeant in the Marine Corps who was married put his own name on letters to the editor defending Jerry Sandusky before the story broke big in November of 2011. And so, in my mind, because I knew all the facts, there was absolutely zero reason not to mention this guy's name. He did not testify at trial. No one testified at trial as the boy in the shower, which the media bizarrely never considered to be a concern, which should have been a massive red flag. Uh, considering the circumstances of the of the case were obviously worldwide publicity and massive amounts of money on the table for whoever was the boy in the shower it's 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 absolutely absurd that 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 person would not testify they it, it's just not conceivable uh, unless there's something wrong well there was something really wrong because he had said very clearly that nothing ever happened numerous times including to police including in the papers including to Joe Amendola Jerry Sandusky's attorney or at least his investigator and so um I thought nothing of this, but here I'm talking to this fairly low-level producer who knows nothing about the case, nothing, and she, I, I guarantee, she starts to think that I'm going to reveal the name of a child sex abuse victim who must be protected at all costs. Well, she goes back to the Today Show people with her hair on fire saying that I'm going to do this and that we should not be involved in this. Uh, and this is I'm getting this secondhand, but it's clear that that's what occurred based upon what transpires next. So then I get a series of conversations. I don't know if Lauer was directly involved, but his booker was, uh, about, okay, uh, here's the deal. Uh, we've already promoted this interview. Uh, we're thinking about canceling it. Uh, are you willing to do it taped? So to make to make sure that you don't uh, say this name, and I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me, and and so now I'm I am completely stuck as to what to do because it's already been publicized that I'm doing this interview. Uh, NBC has already promoted it. They actually promoted it as if they have an interview with Jerry Sandusky, which created a whole nother controversy. Uh, so I'm like, oh crap. In a rational world, in a normal world, right, if this was a normal story, if I had an interview like this with someone who was not the most hated man in America, I could say, you know what, go fuck yourselves. I'm going to go over to Good Morning America, and they're going to be, this is going to be a bigger interview than ever because the people are going to wonder why you canceled John Ziegler. That's the way it should have gone down. But I'm smart enough to know that's not the way it's going to go down on this story because in this story, it's why the fuck did NBC ever give a Jerry Sandusky uh, apologi- apologist, which I was not at the time, but that's how it would be perceived, that why in the fuck is, is the N- NBC Today show, the number one morning show, going to interview John Ziegler about an interview with Jerry Sandusky? They did the right thing in, in canceling their interview with him. That's how it would go down, and then no one would touch me. And then my ability to get this out at all is going to be toast. So I decide, all right, uh, fine, we'll do this taped. I don't want to do it this way. This is going to be a disaster, but we'll do it taped. And I even remember telling people, I, I don't even want to do this interview. I don't want to go to New York. I don't. This is going to be a disaster. I'm walking into a horrendous situation, I, I, but I feel like I have no choice. And so uh, against my better judgment, I go to New York. And when I go to New York, they keep changing the story on me. They keep changing bit by bit. Matt Lauer's uh, booker very masterfully, very masterfully keeps changing just slightly. It's like he's jamming a, 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 a dildo up my ass just, you know, with a little bit of lubricant and just, you know, just a, little, a few inches at a time. He's not going to jam it all in there all at once. He's just going to just slide it in there so that it's fully in there by Monday morning when we, when we finally do the interview. Uh, and he's, he's very good at this. And I keep, I've gone, oh, my God. So because uh, now I'm stuck because now I'm in New York 
And again, I still have no leverage if I cancel the interview. And I uh, and I'll never forget this. So so the booker, this is unprecedented in my experience. The booker actually meets me at my hotel room to make sure that I'm coming over to tape the Today Show an hour earlier than normal. So this make, make this is how absurd this is. We're going to bring in Matt Lauer and the whole crew an hour before normal so that we can tape this to make sure I don't say the name Alan Myers. This is insane. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely unbelievable. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, (laughs) On so many levels. But I have no choice. So I'm like, why is Matt's booker here to make sure that I'm coming over? Well, there's a reason. Because one last time, he changes the rules on me again about what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not allowed to say. But literally, we're, we're coming out of the limousine in front of 30 Rockefeller Center, and he's telling me, oh, yeah, by the way, John, they're telling me, and I don't remember exactly the details, but they're basically putting your balls in, in more of a vice than they already are. And I stop, and I turn around, and I go back to the limo. I'm like, fuck this. I'm out. I'm not doing the interview. Well, the booker has you know a conniption and, and basically gives me you know my seven-year-old uh, daughter knows that when she really wants something you know she gives me the uh, the lower lip business the puppy dog eyes and uh that's what essentially uh matt lauer's booker did uh by the way i'm still friends with this guy to this day why i have no idea uh but you know mainly because i i realized he didn't have much choice in the matter uh, and he was trying to do he was trying to be as nice about this as possible but i actually end up going in to do the interview largely because and this is stupid this is stupid i I can't believe how stupid this is but i'm telling you when you're in this situation and by the way you're jet lagged because you've flown in from los angeles and you're up super early so you have no sleep and you've got 800 million things on your mind and i'm actually worried this is so ironic because everyone thinks i'm an asshole i'm actually too fucking nice I end up doing the interview because I'm afraid that Matt's booker is going to get in trouble if I don't do this interview that I promised him. And because I promised it, I go ahead, I go in the the studio, and I decide to do the interview. Now, I make it very clear to Matt Lauer what I'm going to say about Alan Myers. I'm not going to use his name. Uh, but I'm going to describe who he is. I'm going to describe, I don't exactly remember 100% what I said, but I was going to go right up to the line that they gave me. I was going to, the preface, the, the pre, the, 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 right off the cliff uh, of that line, I was going to go as far as I could, but I was not going to go over the cliff. And I'm a man of my word, and this is what I'm going to say. And so we do the interview, and frankly, Lauer did me no favors in this interview. None. Uh, he start, he, uh, he uh, actually allowed people to have their statements about my interview be part of my interview before my interview. In other words, they get to respond to me before I've even said anything, which, I mean, come on, really? You cannot be serious. But, you know, this is the nature of this story where the media feels like they have to cover their ass against any sort of criticism that somehow... Uh, they're being too soft on Paterno or Sandowski or Penn State. Anyway, I was not happy about that. In fact, I should have been more infuriated than I was. But when it came to Alan Myers, I did exactly what I said I was going to do because that's who I am. I'm a man of my word, for better or for worse. I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And you can bank on it. And so I went right up to the edge of the cliff. And that was it. So we end the interview, and I'm thinking, oh, shit. That was not what it should have been. Uh, you know, once again, Lauer, uh, you know, kind of got the better of me because of some dirty tricks and, uh, and because my balls weren't a vice. And while I felt very proud of the way I had handled the situation under incredibly difficult circumstances, I was not happy with the interview. So they're about to start the actual Today Show. The live portion of this, and then they're then they're going to, they're then going to put in our interview, and uh, just before they start, all of a sudden, the NBC lawyers scurry out of the control room and they go up to Matt Lauer at his desk, and I'm standing about twenty five feet away, and I'm, I'm it's clear to me there's a problem, and the lawyers are, and uh, Matt looks over to me and says, John, come over here, and I'm like, oh shit. What the hell's going on? 
And so uh, the lawyers, uh, I, I become part of this scrum, and the lawyers uh, essentially say that uh, they think that I have said too much about Alan Myers and that they think that his identity will be able to be revealed if anyone Googles the information that I said during the taped version of this uh, Today Show interview with Matt Lauer. And I'm like, I don't even 100% sure remember if I said anything, but I looked at Matt like, really? I mean, come on. I did exactly what you told me to do, what I said I was going to do. And to Matt Lauer's credit, he basically looked at the lawyers. He said, John did exactly what you told him to do, what he said he was going to do. We're running it. So basically he said to the lawyers, go fuck yourselves. And the lawyers, you know, being the the lawyers that they are, scurried away immediately. And the interview uh, ran as, as was taped. Although I think, as insane as this is, I think they actually went to the, the extent. I haven't looked at the video in a long time because it's very painful to me. I think they actually blurred the statement from Alan Myers that I was waving in my hand. Because they, I think they thought somehow somebody with like super HD TV was going to zoom in somehow. By the way, Alan Meyer's name is not even on the, the, this statement, but somehow, you know, that was going to make them feel better that because, you know, somebody was justifying their existence. We're going to blur the, the statement that I uh, waved on air. And the only reason why I was waving the statement on air was because I was hoping somebody in the mainstream news media would go, wow, Ziegler has a statement from the boy in the shower in the McQuarrie episode who we've never heard from before? That sounds interesting. <laughs> and no one, no, you know, the only the Michael Jackson fans will love this. The only person who contacted me was Diane fucking Diamond, who is a complete scumbag, who has had it out for Michael Jackson. She's not credible. Uh, she's a nut job. I, I talked with her a couple times about it, but nobody reputable in the mainstream news media uh, ever contacted me about it. But more importantly, that episode with Lauer, uh, I think, created a mutual respect between the two of us because we were in a foxhole together. I told him what I was going to do. I did it. I got called on it, and he backed me up when he didn't have to. So because of that, when uh, I decide a year later that, you know what, Jerry Sandusky is fucking innocent, and I'm going to try, even though I know this is incredibly dumb (laughs) and has no chance of working, I'm going to try to make that case to the American public. And I know that the only weapon I have – that the mainstream news media might be interested in is an interview, the first interview with Dottie Sandusky. She had never done an interview, uh, Jerry Sandusky's wife. And, uh, and, and I had been trying to convince Dottie to do an interview. She is, you know, old lady. She's not media savvy. She hates the media, doesn't trust anybody, understandably so. I finally convince her, if I sit next to you, will you do an interview with Matt Lauer, and she finally says yes. And so I go to Lauer, and I go, look, um, you know, I'm offering this. Uh, We can't do it live because Dottie can't do a live interview, but are you willing to come to Dottie's house in State College, interview uh, her with me there, I'll be part of the interview, and then you can do whatever you want with it. The only condition I have is that you let me record it as well. Because I needed some sort of – in fact, the only two conditions we had were that you put the entire interview online. I don't even know if it's still there because, you know, everything Matt Lauer touches is now uh, is now basically been erased. But uh, you, have to, you have to put the whole thing online and you have to let me record it so that I have a record of in case you, you edit this in a, in a funky manner. And uh, Lauer says, great, no problem. Uh, and and so Lauer, I somehow get Lauer to come to State College to do this interview with Dottie Sandusky and me. Now, again, which is always the case in these situations, it doesn't go nearly as well as it could ever. It should have. Uh, I do a practice interview with Dottie Sandusky in which, frankly, she's fantastic. And there's a moment, which I've never released, which I have on YouTube, of her practice interview, which everyone I have ever shown it to goes 
holy shit, Jerry Sandusky is innocent. Uh, and I've never made that public because Dottie told me not to. And I am a person who keeps my promises for better or for worse. But the problem was uh, when Matt Lauer comes into your house, right? I mean, think about this. You're, you're Dottie Sandusky. You're an old lady. You've never done a, a, an interview in your life. Your first interview is Matt Lauer coming into your home with all the production involved with that, the cameras everywhere, uh, and you know that your husband's life is on the line. This is your one shot, really, to tell the story. And you know, Dottie basically choked. I mean, she's good in the interview, but she's nowhere near as good as she was in practice, and she's nowhere near as good as she was the next day when we did a full interview with CNN. When she, when we do a full interview with CNN the next day with Jason Carroll, who's a complete scumbag, uh, uh, she was phenomenal. She was absolutely phenomenal. If you find that online, I mean. Bob Costas told me that was the most compelling thing uh, we've ever done to try to show Jerry Sandusky is innocent. The interview with me, Dottie Sandusky, and, and, and uh, Jason Carroll. Uh, but with Matt Lauer, she wasn't as good. In fact, uh, I'll tell you another little story I've never told before. Uh, <laughs> I had made a, uh, uh, I don't think you call it a deal, but we had a, a strategy. I said, Dottie, the number one thing you need to keep saying is, I know Jerry is innocent because this is going to be edited. And so that soundbite needs to be out there. You, I know Jerry is innocent. I know Jerry is innocent. And I said, I want you, because I was standing, t- sitting to her left, and I wear my school ring on my right hand, all right, at, for big events. I don't usually normally wear it, but I, if I'm on, on television or something, I'll, I'll wear my school ring because my grandmother always said, where's your school ring? So, so, so I always would wear my school ring whenever I do a, a big event. I said, Dottie, if I start twisting my school ring, say Jerry is innocent. And if, if you ever look... <laughs> If you ever look on on my, which I, I haven't made public, I eventually will maybe someday. If you look at my version of the video, about halfway through, I am furiously twisting my skull ring, like almost in front of her face, and she's not getting it, and it's driving me fucking crazy. So anyway, uh, so so Lauer and I, our relationship kind of. Um, got further bonded in that because I had produced Dottie Sandusky for the Today Show. They were happy with the interview. It didn't get the ratings they wanted, which, of course, is everything. But from a substance standpoint, it was a, it was a good interview. I frankly believe that everybody who, who was at Dottie Sandusky's house that day, I really do believe that everybody on that crew came away going, what the fuck is this? This is this is the house of a, the worst pedophile in the world. This is the wife of the worst pedophile in the like no fucking way. I mean that that was the entire impression that I got. And after the interview, I mean Lauer and I talked a little bit more about some other things. And I mean he clearly had a trust for me, otherwise he wouldn't have done this. And I do think a lot of it comes back to that episode with the Alan Myers name. So anyway, we we do that whole thing. Interesting, interestingly, just to show you how the, the Forrest Gump aspect of this, the next day, Lauer's Booker, because I had gone from State College to New York to do a CNN interview with Anderson Cooper that got canceled at the last second because they were off trying to find that missing Malaysian plane, and, uh, and they dumped everything, so they, 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 bound, they bumped me. Uh, for supposed breaking news, and there was no breaking news. The only breaking news was, holy shit, we've got a hit on this uh, missing Malaysian plane. So I was in New York with nothing to do. And Matt Lauer's booker, the guy who uh, whose job I had, uh, in my mind, saved back in 2013, says, why don't you come to the set and we'll have breakfast? Because Matt wants to talk to you. I'm like, okay, fine. So uh, I, I've got nothing else to do before I go back to Los Angeles. And I will say, though, that the Today Show back in the day, when you fly uh, based on the Today Show, holy mother of God. I mean, this isn't just first class. This is first class where you get to sleep uh, in the whole deal. I mean, it, it, I mean, the television sets. I mean, the, this, is, this is ultra first class. Uh, 
Uh, but I digress. So I I'm uh, I have breakfast with uh, Matt Lauer's Booker, and he says, "Let's go backstage." I go into the control room. They thank me for the Dottie Sandusky interview. The director does blah blah blah, and we're going backstage so I can meet Matt. Well, as fate would have it, guess who was one of the guests that day on the Today Show? Uh, you guessed it, maybe. It was Donald Trump. Correct. And so, uh, and Trump had been a Paterno supporter. And so I actually had my own, one and only conversation with Donald Trump, uh, thanking him, ironically enough, for his support of Joe Paterno, which he then turned into a three-minute conversation about how people in Pennsylvania love him. Which turns out to, in retrospect, be incredibly significant because this is early 2014, and he ends up winning the presidency two years later because of Pennsylvania. Correct. So this is this is this is the strangeness of my life. So uh, Lauer asks me, you know, uh, was I happy with the Dottie interview? And I go, uh, not really. And he goes, well, you're never happy with anything, you know, kind of half, kind of half serious, half joking. And that's it. So then we have no more contact uh, for several years. Okay, so all of that is uh, important because uh, he's back in the news. And there's this book out by Ronan Farrow. And uh, I have to say that um, I was predisposed to believing that the allegations against Matt Lauer, that he raped a former, uh, now former, NBC producer – back at the 2014 Sochi Olympics. I was predisposed to not believing that. I will acknowledge that. If I had a bias, it was it was in Lauer's favor. One, because I've gotten to know him a little bit. Again, we're not friends. I don't like him. I, I totally believe he's more than capable of all sorts of infidelity and manipulation and all that. I, I got no problem with that. But when you go into the realm of rape, that's a whole different story. And... The guy, to me, didn't uh, indicate to any indication to me that he was capable of that kind of thing. Not that someone would in the interaction that we had. But I felt like I got to know him enough to where he deserved a hearing, at the very least. Also, the source of the allegation is Ronan Farrow and his new book, Catch and Kill. Because I was one of those people who very strongly said when Lauer was fired in 2017, wait a minute. The media is taking all this smoke and they're going they're running with it in the post me too world and they're making this sound like something that's not. He got fired because he he violated his contract by having an affair with a coworker uh, in a work situation while working both at the 2014 uh Sochi Olympics as well as in his own office because that was the allegation. He was having Sexual affairs that he did not disclose to his bosses with coworkers on in work situations. That's a violation of company policy. That's a violation of his contract. In an in the post Me Too firestorm, that was enough to fire somebody, especially somebody whose contract was like worth twenty five million dollars, which he probably wasn't worth because the ratings for all television shows were going down. And he's a tremendous scalp for NBC to protect themselves from being criticized, especially since they uh, killed the Harvey Weinstein, Ronan Farrow story. So in my mind, it all made sense. It had nothing to do with Matt Lauer being a sexual abuser or a sexual predator. He just played with fire too long. They changed the rules after Harvey Weinstein and Me Too, and he was a sacrificial lamb. Not that he didn't deserve getting fired, depending on your perspective on those things, but this was behavior that at the time Lauer was well known for, was used to getting away with. No one ever thought that you know he was supposed to disclose to his bosses that, oh, by the way, I'm having an affair outside my marriage with this uh, producer. He's Matt Lauer, okay? But again... I'm not going to defend the behavior. I'm just telling you what it is and what it isn't. And so that was in 2017. Now this book comes out called Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. And I, like most people, and this is very similar to the whole Sandusky thing. When the Sandusky thing happened, I presumed it was mostly true. I was open to, okay, is it exaggerated, whatever. And then the more I learned, I'm like, oh, my God, none of this is true. This is the opposite of the truth. And that took several years of investigation for me to come to that conclusion and speaking to all the people who were directly involved, or at least as many of them as I could possibly speak to. 
Well, when Ronan Farrow did his Weinstein thing, I presumed, wow, Farrow must really be the the shits. He must really know what he's doing. He you know, he got to the bottom of this thing, and NBC didn't want to air it, and he, he went to the New Yorker, and he started Me Too, and there's got to be some substance there. And then he went after Brett Kavanaugh. And he went after Brett Kavanaugh with a story that I truly believe is an urban fucking legend. That's all it is. It's an urban legend. And, uh, and so I started to think, okay, Ronan Farrow, maybe not what I thought he was. He might be a meaty creation. And let's face it, how bizarre is it? Let's, 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 can we, can we, I'm going to say something no one will say in the media. But can we please comprehend the absurdity that the ultimate arbiter today of male-female sexual relationships and what is appropriate and what isn't is Ronan Farrow, a young gay man who came out of a family where his mom accused his dad of having uh, 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 sexually abused a sibling uh, and that there's great question as to whether or not that allegation was fabricated? I mean, this is like literally the last person on the planet who should be the arbiter of what is sexual abuse between a man and a woman and what is not. And yet somehow Ronan Farrow is the guy. All right. So that being said, I was very eager to read Farrow's book about Lauer. And I did that uh, a couple of days ago. And I have to tell you, folks, I had fairly low expectations for what was going to be in this book. This book is garbage. This book is complete and total garbage, at least with regard to Matt Lauer. Garbage. It is a journalistic joke. And I could go through for uh, uh, several podcasts about why this is, but I'm just going to show you a couple of examples here. Because he is a master, a master at using smoke and mirrors to create a false impression. He is also a master, uh, and this I've seen this happen in the Michael Jackson case, in the Penn State case, and in others, where you presume someone's guilt, and then once you, in, their, you're, in your minds, they're guilty, even though you haven't proven they're guilty, then everything in retrospect is proof of that guilt. That everything looks like smoke. Everything looks like, oh, of course, well, this is why this happened or this happened because, after all, we now know Matt Lauer was a serial rapist of some sort. And that's the exact opposite of what a journalist should do. A journalist should start with, I don't know what the fuck happened. Let me find out. And uh, is this and, and does this smoke lead in one direction for a narrative or does it lead in a different direction for a narrative? Because when it comes to sexual abuse, especially involving someone who's very, very famous and very powerful and very rich, guess what? Believe it or not, there is a completely different narrative because apparently, uh, unknown to Ronan Farrow and the rest of the news media, guess what? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This is going to be an earth shatter, right? This is going to be breaking news. This is going to blow your minds. Blow your minds. Can you buckle up, okay? Buckle up for the truth I'm about to lay on you. Women oftentimes find famous, rich men to be sexually attractive. I know, I know, I know. I know that's crazy. I, I mean, that, I, 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 know that's, I know that's nuts. But, but oftentimes women will do seemingly crazy things in a sexual realm to be engaged with a man who is famous, powerful, and rich. In fact, that's probably the number one reason why men want to be famous, powerful, and rich. Because women they barely know will suck their dicks! Okay? That is, that is the whole essence of what drives men to pursue that. If if women they barely know would give them free oral sex for being great teachers, we'd have the greatest fucking teachers in the history of the world. All right? But that's not the way it works. The way it works is fame, power, money is the aphrodisiac. Henry 
fucking Kissinger, one of the ugliest people you've ever seen in your life, has been famously quoted as saying, power is the greatest aphrodisiac. That's a terrible Henry Kissinger impression, but you get the point. The, I mean, if, so if Henry Kissinger is implying that he's been able to have sex with women he never dreamed of having sex with, all because of the perception of power, that tells you a lot right there, okay? But that's completely, that is completely gone from this book. In fact, you know what pisses me off almost as much about what I believe to be false allegations in this book against Matt Lauer? is the idea that um, as a father of two young daughters, I believe that this book is misogynistic. And here's what I mean by that. I believe that Ronan Farrow's view of evaluating professional adult female behavior requires them to be children, to be children. And that pisses me off because I don't want to live in that world for my daughters. Men and women should be equal. They should be treated as equal. But that means equal responsibility for their actions as adults. And he presumes, in this case, that all these professional women in major media jobs are somehow childlike. He also presumes that 2014 is like 1954. Like, like we have, like, like we're still living in in the madman era, where you know this is the way things are. That men are just expecting because they have a position of power that they're, hey, hey, you know, have sex with me or I'm going to fire you, and they can get away with that. In 2014, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Really? You cannot be serious. All right. So let me just share a couple things in this book, and then again. I even hesitate to do this because there's so many different examples, but I just I, I, I don't want to not give examples. So there's basically two chapters on Matt Lauer. The first is creating the impression that there's this this all this smoke about all these affairs that he had, at which he did, and that NBC uh, was forced to do all sorts of things to cover this up because they felt like uh, you know they were vulnerable to some sort of a lawsuit or bad publicity or whatever. Ronan Farrow writes, over the course of 2018, I'd learn of seven claims of sexual misconduct raised by women who worked with Lauer. Oh, my God. What? That, that sounds horrible. Seven claims of sexual misconduct raised by women who worked with Lauer. Hmm. Okay. That sounds incredibly damaging. Until you turn to the next page. He's referring, by the way, to these women who uh, left NBC and signed non-disclosure agreements. So therefore, you know, in his mind, this is proof of a cover-up to protect uh, NBC from and Matt Lauer from negative publicity because uh, these women were forced to leave the company because Matt Lauer had somehow sexually abused them. The very next page, Ronan Farrow writes, several of the women who signed the non-disclosure agreements had complaints that were unrelated to Lauer about other men in leadership positions within NBC News. Wait, wait, hold, hold on a second. Wait, you've just told so. So let me read. Let's go back to the previous page. Let's go back to the previous page. I'd learned of seven claims of sexual misconduct raised by women who worked with Lauer. Guess what? Those women worked with dozens and dozens of people. Yes, Matt Lauer was one of them because Matt Lauer was the host of the Today Show with a massive staff. So basically, anybody, anybody who left NBC had any sort of claim of misconduct, sexual misconduct at NBC, somehow that's Matt Lauer's fault because they worked with him. And, in, and then he goes into one specific episode where this, this person is, you know, an on-air personality who signed a non-disclosure agreement in 2012, said that NBC sought the deal after she showed colleagues messages that she took to be propositions from both Lauer and one of the senior executives who later departed the company. So, again, I don't have the details on this, but this, you know what this sounds like? This sounds like some other guy who got 
fired over this. An executive caused NBC to force this on-air personality to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And oh, by the way, there was some flirtatious thing that Matt Lauer once texted her. And so he gets lumped into this. But that's not him. That's the NBC executive. So then we go on after he, he and, and, and one of the things that drives me crazy about him of the many in, the, in these two chapters is that Farrow, and this is always the case, this is the first red flag I always look for. He is, he is impervious to dates and timelines. He doesn't want you to know the dates. He doesn't want you to know the timeline because if he gives you that information, you might uh, come to a very different conclusion about what actually happened here. So he spends one chapter building up, you know, basically – Here's all the smoke involving NBC's cover-up and also all the reasons why you should hate Matt Lauer. And then he goes into the one specific allegation of, of what is now being referred to as rape. And uh, he starts this chapter. Boy, this, listen to this and, and, and ask yourself how objective this reporter is. This is Ronan Farrow discussing Brooke Nevels who is the NBC producer who is now, now, and it's really important to point out, now, not back in 2014, not even back in 2017 when her allegation, her complaint got Matt Lauer fired for uh, a consensual interoffice uh, inappropriate affair. But now, in 2019, in a book by Ronan Farrow, she's claiming she's actually using the word rape. Here is how, how Farrow uh, describes her. She told me this. With the affectless delivery of someone who had been through too much. Over the course of the past two years, Nevels has attempted suicide. She'd been hospitalized for post-traumatic stress disorder. Descended into heavy drinking. Pulled herself back. She'd lost 14 pounds and gone to doctors 21 times in a single 10-month period. I've lost everything I cared about, she said. My job, my goals. Okay, that's terrible. Uh, if all true, which I have no reason to believe it's not, boy, it sounds like someone has a, a really uh, messed up life. They're struggling. Uh, they're considering suicide. They're an alcoholic. Uh, but guess what? I used to live in a world where that kind of person was inherently at least a little bit suspect. Then maybe, maybe you should hold what they're saying to a higher standard or scrutiny. Because guess what? There could be other reasons than a sexual encounter back at the 2014 Sochi Olympics that would have caused her life to go to crap. Well, guess what? Oh, oh, oh my gosh, look at this. Oh, the very next chapter. Her mother died of a heart attack a little over a year before our meeting. Really? Really? Oh my gosh. Wait, hold on. You mean to tell me that something else happened in her life other than having a sexual encounter with Matt Lauer in 2014, much closer to the time period in which you're talking about, which might have dramatically impacted her psychological perspectives and, and well-being? Really? I mean, can you not see this, Ronan? Can you not understand? Can you not understand that there's a completely different narrative here? A completely and totally different narrative. Well, as far as Neville's complaint against uh, Lauer... It's incredibly important to point out, as I've mentioned previously in another podcast when I first talked about this, uh, Nevels admits that what happened was she got, quote-unquote, raped. Again, she never used that word until uh, 2000. Apparently, she never used that word until she talked to Ronan Farrell, which is incredibly interesting. But uh, by her own admission, they have this encounter in Sochi. They come back to New York and they continue a consensual affair for three months. For three months, which she now refers to as transactional. What the hell does transactional mean? What, 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 is, what does transactional mean? I have all sorts of questions about transactional. But, but here, is, here is what she tells Ronan Farrow about her reaction to Lauer at the time. It's, what happens at the time is what matters, okay? Not 
after Lauer has been fired and he can't fight back and he has no power and he's been disgraced and everybody wants a story feeding off the carcass of Matt Lauer. Here, here is what she says to Ronan Farrow. This is Ronan Farrow writing, not as a quote, but this is him. She attempted to convey that she was comfortable and, in, and even enthusiastic about the encounters with Lauer. She even tried to convince herself of the same. She readily admitted that her communications with Lauer might have appeared friendly and obliging. What? What? Okay, can you not at least see an entirely different narrative here where someone has changed their mind once the circumstances change. And I believe, by the way, that Ronan Farrow may have been the person that facilitated this because I think what happened here is the best theory I can come up with is, so she has this, I'm not even going to question it was some sort of bad sexual experience, right? But it's with Matt Lauer. He's the boss. He's powerful. He's a celebrity. You're excited that he has shown an interest in you and you just kind of forget about it. You think, okay, well, the first time we were drunk, maybe it'll be better uh, some other time. And, and this is just too, you know, too much of an ego boost for me to, to resist. Okay, I'm fine with all that. But, but the idea that you're going to call it rape. And you're not going to call it rape until you spoke, speak to Ronan Farrow, who happens to be the the foremost, by far, advocate for sex abuse uh, victims and where he sees everything as rape, especially if there's a power differential between the man and the woman. Well, I, I'm sorry. Uh, what I think probably happened here is Farrow convinced her that, that oh, what you're describing is rape because she does not use the rape word in 2017 when she complains to NBC. And by the way, she didn't complain to like two buddies of Lauer or two frat boys. There were two NBC females who heard the story when they got that Lauer fired. They never said that she said anything about rape. And, she, and, and Farrow acknowledges she never said anything ra- about rape in 2017. But here is how Lauer, here's, um, let me rephrase that. I, that's a, I didn't mean Lauer, I meant Farrow. Here is how Farrow rationalizes, and boy, does he go, boy, he, he does a double backflip here, trying to bend over backwards to try to figure out a way that, that uh, explains why uh, Brooke Nevels did not use the rape word in 2017. He writes, she was still early in her process of reliving the trauma. She didn't use the word rape that day. Um, People, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, In November of 2017, it is over three years after this alleged rape in the first sexual encounter between Matt Lauer and Brooke Nevels. She is an adult. She is a professional. If she thought she had been raped, she would have told NBC that she thought she had been raped or that the, as she refers to it in Farrow's book, that this was a non-consensual sexual act. I'll even cede you, as absurd as it is, the three-month affair because she's enamored by the whole Matt Lauer thing and he's the boss and she's afraid and all that. I'm sorry. If you're going to go after Matt Lauer, post Me Too, post Harvey Weinstein, and you're making a, a, a formal complaint, the only formal complaint that there's any evidence of that ever happened against Matt Lauer in over 20 years at NBC, if you're going to do that, you're going to use the word rape. And if you don't use it, and Ronan Farrow needs to come up with that kind of an, a, a juvenile excuse, an excuse that presumes you to be a child. You are a, a, a child. In order not to be able to use that word with a lawyer sitting next to you, with two sympathetic females taking your story. If you're not going to use that word, I must presume that the reason why you're using that word now is because you either have an agenda or Ronan Farrow got it out of you. And that this is consistent with Ronan Farrow's M.O. He is a dangerous man, this Ronan Farrow. He is, he is, is not to be trusted. This book is a joke. And uh, I will have more to say on this uh, potentially very shortly. Potentially very shortly. I'll just leave it at that. That, that, that This could be an interesting week. So stay tuned. Uh, by the way, uh, we may or may not be doing a, a podcast next week. Um, 
which I'm hoping we will. I don't, I, but I can't make any promises because one of the things we're really looking forward to, and and it's there's always a connection. There's always there's always a connection from one story to the next. Who who did uh, who did the first interview with Wade Robson, the star of Leaving Neverland? Matt Lauer. And this weekend, uh, the Ziegler family is scheduled to go to the Halloween party at the Michael Jackson estate. So my daughters are super excited about that. And whether it's next week or the following week, I'm sure we'll give all the details and we'll provide all pictures on uh, social media for that. So lots going on. Stay tuned, as always. Just please uh, share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, one, two, one, two.